Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Super pumped for the show today. We're here with Mr. Stephen Neville, um, personal friend of mine. I've worked with this guy quite a bit. He is an absolute rock star. He is a real estate investor himself, and he helps real estate in- investors build their own businesses. He provides data and really anything you could ever want. So, Stephen, super pumped to have you here. We'd love to kick it off with a story, man. Could you just tell us one of your craziest real estate transactions that you've experienced? Oh, definitely, man. First of all, thank you guys for having me here. I'm honored uh, to be a guest on your show. I'm looking forward to this. Um, Crazy transaction, man. Um, I would have to go back to around like 2015 or so. Um, We had found a property. It was actually a new venture business, right? Me and I had uh, three other partners. It was four of us. We started a real estate company together. Um, it was second, third real estate business of mine throughout the years. Um, and we're going around looking for our first deal, right? So driving for dollars, I found this property. I like skip traced it, got a hold of the owner and everything. Then we went and we walked the property, you know, the whole typical stuff frustrating like they were basically underwater for what needed to be done uh you know like the well we could what they need to pay off their mortgage versus the repairs and we it was no wholesale there um but we we did work out we figured out uh lease option creative finance type of deal um and we talked the owner into it because he was pretty desperate to get out of the house um so in that we had to, we had an agreement for the first three months he was going to keep the payments while we did some cosmetic stuff in the house to kind of get it rent ready and stuff like that, right? So we get in there and this is a big house, uh, about, I don't know, 4,000 square feet or so. Uh, so that, that's super, super big, but pretty, pretty decently big. Um, it was in a very older neighborhood, right? Uh, lots of very old house, maybe built in 1930s, I want to say maybe early 1940s. Um, so it was a very much of an older house. See, I don't know if you guys have had work in older houses before, but you tend to get in. Plenty, yeah. yeah. And you find things. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and we, you know, weren't, um, I, at that point in time, I did a lot of wholesale deals. I really didn't do any flips or anything like that. So I wasn't, I was a little green behind the ears when it comes to that stuff. Um you know, it, it ended up being crazy. We found like knob and tube electrical yep. wiring um, going through things. Um, you know, one of the bathrooms was like a half bath on the first floor. Like they decided to put seashells in the sink <laughs> and like, I don't know, plaster them on there or something. And um, <laughs> it was a very unique uh, uh, property. But we were, you know, painting it, uh, redoing the wood floors, trying to make it a little clean up and make it make it nice. Well, during that period of time, th- those couple of months, and we're working on, it, we're actually doing the work ourselves, right? At that point in time, we didn't, we had very limited budget, yep. so we're like, we got to go. That's why we needed three months for cosmetic. We needed to go and like paint ourselves. Um, some of us had jobs still. Um, Love it, just bootstrapping so it, it. Yeah, totally bootstrapping it, totally. Yeah. Um, but from that period of time, like during those three months, the market started going up. And we're looking at him, we're like, whoa, whoa, the market, this household, that household. We're like, whoa, wait a minute, this value is going up. And then we looked at the, the type of people moving in, and it became this 
millennial liberal crowd. Um, like it was like this lesbian couple bought one a couple down the house down the street. This other like young family, uh, you know, like. I don't know, early 30s, late 20s with a little baby, you know, like beginner families. And they were, it was this whole thing. We realized that they, they loved this older house. It had the nice big trees. So like you go, you know, walk the dog type of thing around the neighborhood, walk the kid, had a park nearby, these big houses. They were loving this vibe. Um, and part of that during that period is like the retroness. They're like that mm-hmm. little retro. So we're like, listen, these values are going up. We think maybe we could do a little bit more than cosmetic and possibly be able to sell this thing yeah, um, and make some money. But it was weird because we had a lease option deal and we weren't looking to buy it and try to go that route. So what we did, we got the owner to agree to another three months. So a total of six months of him keeping the payments, right? And then we were going to do some deeper work on it, try to sell it. If we couldn't, then we'll just, you know, go back to the lease option. We'll run it out um, and go that route. Um, so, yeah, we we went through that route. Again, we found we ended up remodeling the kitchen. Uh, we went from pulling off the cabinets, like the cabinet doors, and resurfacing them and putting new knob, new handles on and everything to make it look like it's refreshed to totally gutting the kitchen and redoing it. Um Again, ourselves, um, you know, pulling up YouTube DIY videos <laughs> and doing it. <laughs> um, you know, all, all been there for sure. Yep, uh, do it on the fly. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we pretty much did a whole bunch of stuff like skipped over. I probably shouldn't say this. Yeah, been, I think it's been enough years. Skipped over some probably some inspections we were supposed to have. Um, <laughs> it's been enough years. Statue no longer applies. We won't list the address. Yeah, you know, literally going to Home Depot, we grabbed some, you know, some local workers at the Home Depot, <laughs> paying them like, hey, dude, we, we can give you a hundred dollars for the day and a and 30 pack of Heineken. Right. Like, you know, like come four o'clock in the afternoon, we're drinking Heineken's on the property with them. Um, <laughs> and you know, work working and getting stuff done. I uh, it was a crazy, crazy journey. Hmm. Um but you know, we we ultimately kept the old school vibe of the house. I had like built-in um, bookshelves, like in the dining room, in the walls and stuff. So instead of ripping all that out, because again, you know, this old house, we learned real quick: don't open up the walls. And we were kind of <laughs> advised that don't open up the walls. Um, we we had to go up into the attic, and that's where we actually found the knob and two wiring, and we had to like um, do a little something there, and I kind of like cover that up um, <laughs> on the property and things. Um, so we had to kind of hide some stuff and I uh, had to replace like some HVAC. Uh, it, it was a journey, a lot of landscaping, had a gigantic yard, which we found like, it was almost like a walking dead or something where like nature overtakes, uh, you know, like, <laughs> like it had this long, had a really like a hill that went down, but it had these like walkways and stone. It was beautiful, but nature overtook it. So we were able to discover that, clear all that out, put like mulch around it, they planted a couple of flowers to highlight it, make it pop. Um, and yeah, we ended the day. We ended up selling the property. We had, we we had to put a lien on the property so we can get our money for it because we actually didn't buy it 
like, like we're flipping in. We didn't, it wasn't necessarily a wholesale. So we had to put a lien on it to protect our interest and then ultimately got help get the property sold. And we ended up making like just under a hundred thousand dollars, like nice. 96,000, but wow. it was six months, like literally almost every day of the week, blood, sweat, and tears going in it and changing strategies and not knowing what the F we were going to do. <laughs> 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 love this there's so much to unpack here there's this is one of your first deals or your first deal this is one of the first deals i had in this company uh, yeah with these partners yeah I, i've been in I, I started back like in 2003 mm. like doing some wholesaling uh throughout the years but never this was like the first time i quit the job i was full-time no other job and i had three other partners uh, another guy who would quit and two guys who were working and then coming in and and, and putting in the energy too so Oh, I, 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 other thing I didn't even realize during that whole process, we went from four partners down to two. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So, so let's just spend, if, if, if it's okay with you, so let's spend quite a bit of time here. I mean, you've got the partnership aspect, obviously sounds like gone wrong, which is really uh, exciting to kind of break through that. You've got the, mm -hmm. the way that you're structuring this deal, which is really cool. I'm really excited to dive into that. You've got the decisions that you had to make on the property based on what you're seeing in the market, what you're seeing on the potential incoming demographic of buyers that might want that. So if we could take time and unpack each of those, I think there's a lot of lessons that can be had in each of those. So I'm just like trying to figure out what I want to tackle first. Like you just kind of threw out the partner thing. Let's talk about that. So yeah. you have four partners. Let's talk about how you structured that partnership and what went well with that and what obviously did not go well. Well, the what I thought would be well, but ended up not going well is it was friends. <laughs> which I think a lot of people hear about. Uh, it's very hard to go into business with friends. Um, you know, maybe you can do some kind of business stuff together and then over time you can pan out and you can see, but just to go straight into business, especially when it's their first business, um, you kind of realize that not everybody had the same idea, work ethic, uh, energy, commitment, you know, you know, that was one of the biggest things. And then that kind of hurt friendships there. Like, uh, the two people that end up leaving out, um, you know, actually really don't really talk to them anymore. Um, unfortunately, you know, that kind of just drove uh, a knife down into the overall relationship. Um, but you mentioned like how we structured it. Well, we did yeah. was we had um, uh, one, we had an escort um, and then each of us had LLCs and we both were partners into the escort by, by the LLCs that we had. Um, so as they kind of left out, um, you know, we, they just signed out of the, um, and just removed their shares, uh, from the business. Which is a really cool way of, uh, legal structuring that, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not an attorney, so we can't advise anything, but like, that seems like a very clean way. Like you have all have your own companies and then you're just partaking in a big, big company. So mm -hmm. when I'm saying structuring, what I'm, what I'm referring to is like, how'd you guys assign the duties, the responsibilities, the roles, ownership percentages, et cetera. Um, well, it was straight across uh, with the four of us, 25% each um, at, at that point in time. Uh, we talked about the different uh, positions. Um, they, they elected me to be CEO. Uh, my other partner to be, he was an accountant, so it would be a CFO. Um, then we had another guy did some marketing stuff, and he was like the CMO. And then another guy, uh, his grandfather was big into carpentry work and did some flipping and things back in the day. So he was like, I don't know, I don't know what role we title we gave him, but he was like our rehab estimator, 
dude, you know, he kind of focused his mm-hmm. role and responsibilities on repair costs and all that type of stuff. Being Mr. Home Depot, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, cool. And then so so this thing starts happening. It, it appears from the way that you're saying this, that some of the guys didn't work as hard as other guys or had different ambitions. So without calling anybody out, like what happens? How do you go through those discussions? I know a lot of people that I talk to, you know, they're, they're just getting into this and they're going to get into partnerships because I think partnerships can be a great thing, um, but they're going to go wrong. So you're noticing that this is heading South. Mm-hmm. How you guys have like a weekly meeting structure? How how are you guys working through this? How do those conversations go? Yeah, so I guess another part of that too, I guess I didn't mention, it was like we put money in, and it was like three of us put money in. Two of us had the majority of the money. Myself and another guy who was like the marketer dude, um, and then the accountant put some money in, and then the other guy he didn't really have too much money. We brought him in for his experience. Uh, there. So we went that route. Well, him that got the experience on the rehab stuff, uh, you know, he put in work, the third most amount of work, but then he got burnt out, got tired, got irritable. Uh, you know, we we voted on decisions that, that, that went against ideas he had, and he took it personally, um, stuff like that. And, you know, it, it just went, it went really down south with, the, with things there. Um, on the other side, the, the marketer guy, I, he thought that because he donated a little bit of money, uh, that he wouldn't have to do any hard labor (laughs) 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 and he didn't mind coming over to help like sleep the floor. Uh, but he didn't want to paint. (laughs) He's swinging the hammer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, He's swinging the hammer whatsoever, not even the paintbrush. Um, and that kind of went down. Then we're like, what the hell? We're killing ourselves in here. Like, come on. (laughs) Um, and that, that kind of ruffled feathers and started bad blood. And then, you know, ended up coming to the mutual ideas of like, okay, you know, it's okay. I'm just going to release and leave this, you know, it's, you guys are like in sink or swim. You might lose everything in this deal or you might, or you, you might make it, but you know, whatever, we're just going to cut our losses and leave. And that's ultimately what happened with them. Um, but in that time, you know, me and my, my other partner, the accountant, we kind of like. We, we were busted our, our rear ends in there, made it happen. And actually in that process, too, you and the accountant were. Yes, me and the accountant. Me and Love the accountant it, man. And everything. Yeah. <laughs> me and the accountant. There you go. Um, you know, and we actually found in that in that same time, we didn't stop looking for other deals. And we wholesaled about three other deals um, for like a combined like 250 profit, um, which then helped kind of fund the stuff we were doing in there. Um, so, yeah. So walk us, walk us through. Okay. So that was a failed, you know, four person partnership. What have you done since then? And how has that worked? Like, have you found a place? Have you found a groove where you've got a a structure now that's really working for you? And if so, what's the difference? Yes. Don't have partners. (laughs) (laughs) I, I like, I like working with people. Like I like having partners on a level. But not, but I like owning my own business myself. Um, you know, he, you know, me and, 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 the, and my accountant, the, we're, we're still good friends. Um, he's no longer in the business. He he wanted to move to Hollywood and do like the uh, representation for upcoming talent, which he's doing, doing very successfully. I have to shout him out. He's doing oh, cool. great over there. Um, the 
but yeah, I just kind of learned like, uh, I don't know. I, I kind of, for me, it's like building it myself, having to, I, I'm kind of one of those people that have the vision, but I'm also an operator. Um, so I can blend both of them pretty well. And then I have really learned in my current business how to really develop the team to that, that once you start getting big, you can't do it all yourself as that, but you're the right team that you've developed to delegate things to. So you can really have a, a strong functioning uh, business um, that you can grow and scale. Uh, so I, that's personally how it kind of worked for me. And, but I love actually having partnerships and I'll still JV with people on deals. I'll do certain things where I'll have strategic partnerships, but it's not like we're joining a business entity together and I am in this role and you're in that role. Um, I personally just don't like that. Um, from my experience, I, mean, I just had the bad taste of it. I didn't kind of like the idea kind of going into it. Um, but I thought it could work because of the trust we had with the people involved. Um, but then I quickly, you know, I learned that just wasn't the case, at least for me. Could work for other people. Just to dive in a little bit deeper, just so there's yeah. a, um, even more clarity. So thank you for going so deep into this. So essentially, one of the differences I'm, I'm hearing from you is that you're no longer saying, hey, me and you or me and these three guys are going to be in a business together doing tons of properties. You're more likely to say, hey, let's let's do this property together. Is there any differences in how you structure it on that property? So for example, the one with four guys, you have some guys coming in with money, some not. Mm -hmm. Are you, when you connect with somebody on a property, are you just paying them for what they do? Or is it still an ownership split? You mentioned the word JV. So it, it sounds like there's some ownership split. Yeah. So I guess I'm looking at that. I'm actually looking at it just beyond real estate because I, I guess I'm kind of growing beyond just the real estate side. So looking over an entrepreneurship period on that level of, of thought process. Um, on the JV side, is more real estate, obviously. And that is more for, uh, you know, like, hey, maybe I found the property, and uh, but I don't have, you know, I don't want to take the time to find someone who wants to buy it in this location that I'm not as, you know, deep into. It's like, I'll JV with you and you're going to dispo it. Um, or vice versa. You, may, you got it. You can't do anything with it. I can come in. Maybe you need help rearranging the price points in the contract and, and get it at a better place and then just it for you. Things to that degree um, on, a, on a JV deal, just working with other people, trying to you know make a way to make money. If it makes sense, it comes to me. Um, I kind of don't seek those things out. Um, right now, where I'm currently at when it comes to real estate is stuff comes to me. I cherry pick and I do. Otherwise, I'm kind of growing and scaling my more of agency, my services business to really help others. Um, so I, I guess, you know, that's I, one of the hurdles and learning lessons, I guess, you know, I kind of learned in my entrepreneurial journey is the, is the follow your passion and mm -hmm. but make sure you're checking your ego. Because uh, I have got my real estate business up going well. I have I wholesaled across the country, and I, I was in the mindset of I'm building this national monster where I'm, I'm wholesaling across every country, then I'm moving in and I'm flipping and international in every monster. country, but in every state. Yeah, I'm gonna flip, start flipping in every state. But I had plans like after we take over America, go international and, yep. and, and do these different things. And I had this whole empire I was yeah. coming. Um, but then I realized like. That wasn't, I lost the the fire and the passion. It became almost like a job. Um, you know, it was like I had to do and burning out and maybe do a lot of self-reflecting. What I really liked was the foundation of helping people. And then I liked the competitive challenge 
of growing and developing a business. Um, and in real estate, you can kind of keep it really lean. Um, when you're just doing a wholesaling business, you don't need to have 50 employees, 100 employees. And even in a nationwide wholesaling company, you don't need that many people. Um, you could, you might have JV, again, partners, uh, contacts, people you might have a relationship with uh, for certain things, but not necessarily like employees. Um, I like the idea of growing a, a big company with lots of employees and developing the people. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I don't know. I'm big on that. Um, developing a culture, um, mm. a, a, you know, like a, a family, a community, um, you know. Love it. So it's kind of like checking. Your, it, I had to check my own ego because I'm competitive. I'm uber competitive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've always been kind of competitive my whole life. That's what drives me to have any level of success. And went from like make it or break it and you make it from you got to have that competitive desire, that fire burning within you to push yourself. That's how we sweated through those days in that property, literally five to six o'clock in the morning, getting there in the crack of dawn and being there to midnight, <laughs> going home and sleeping, just falling into the bed with pants of paint all over me, right. just passing out, <laughs> you know, getting McDonald's egg muffin to the house and coming home, you know, getting a, a piece of fried chicken in the way home and passing out, you know, like, like horrible and sustaining yourself with beer. Yep. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Yeah, get through so, that. so, so basically those experiences led you from, Hey, this, this is not quite the business that I want to be in. I really want to be amongst people all the time. So essentially in your real estate business, you move to like what you call JV. So it's, basically they're being paid for performance. If they find the end buyer, they're getting paid for that. So there's really no structure other than once they've performed, they get paid a certain percentage of the deal. And now you've shifted your focus to building these other businesses like the data business and the staffing business, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Pretty much exactly. Um, when it comes to real estate, it's either I take care of it myself, I'll wholesale it. Uh, I'm not really doing any flips. Um, I'm kind of, I want to uh, passive income, like just so getting some, some creative deals, some sub twos and some rentals is something, but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm on this wait. I'm like sitting here waiting for the market shift here. <laughs> These prices <laughs> come as, you know, as we're going through a little bit of a change in the market. So I'm kind of like waiting and I'm, I'm, I'm studying on the sub two side and um, getting my creative finance game up um, to be able to take advantage of some of those things. Um, but yeah, like when it comes to this, like, doing a whole lot of work there i kind of just have stuff on me and, and focus on the jv side because that way it's it's taking up 10 15 of my time um at most if not less than that um and i can kind of focus it's still it, it's it's income um it's cash generating and um, i love real estate especially for the the passive income side and i want to get into multifamily and apartments and uh you know i'm, I'm actually looking big into right now other countries i've been like this year um we're in august now right that we're filming yeah. this um so th that's eight months of the year so th three months of the year um almost like one little more than one third of the year i've been in the philippines um and i've been doing a lot of research um a lot of evaluation i'm really getting big into buying properties out there not just like building and residential but businesses um, and other type of things like, and I, I've done the same thing in, um, when I was in Belize, 
Um, I did. Uh, I talked to a, a guy there. I've become friends with his Canadian guy. Um, who's built out a couple of resorts there. So I'm I'm really looking at like resorts and these other countries, um, just other type of um, ventures. Is kind of where my brain is going. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's years, probably five years. Maybe I mean it could be quicker than that. Who knows? But probably about mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking like five years down the road to where that becomes like a major uh, focus. Right now it's like a lot of intel gathering, but that's where my um, real estate kind of passion, you know, when it comes just to strictly real estate business, is kind of leaning me now. So cool. Like I have staffed in the Philippines for seven years now. Staff programming teams, staffed sales teams, etc. Admin teams. So I've. My wife and I've traveled to the Philippines back in 2016, spent three weeks there. So I what could part? go. So we were actually in several parts. So we flew into Manila, spent okay. a little bit of time there. Then we flew to Davao. And okay. then we we drove like a handful of hours to uh, Tagum City. And yeah. Yeah. it was so cool. Like they put us on like this rooftop and they cooked us dinner. And it was like this tribal ceremony and put yes. necklaces on us. It, it was <laughs> so cool of an experience <laughs> and then we took them all out we flew them all out to brock eye mm-hmm. um and had some fun adventures and jumped off you know 35 foot whatever's in the ocean and snorkeled and just such an amazing experience like anybody that's thinking about a vacation i know philippines is typically not on their radar but it should be it's yeah. as you know it's an amazing place so a lot of people from uh asia and europe go there but from uh, the u.s is it's so far it's like a 20, you're, if you're lucky, it's a 24 to 26 hour flight overall layovers and everything. So it's a little bit of a hassle on the other side of the world, but it is beautiful. And it is by far the friendliest country in the world. It is amazing. And yeah. and if you have connections there, it's so nice to see both the touristy side and to go into the more tribal side, I guess you would say. And because that authentic experience, like I remember going out to a nice, you know, chicken dinner, organic chicken dinner and it was two dollars and twenty cents yes and it was was crazy um so i want to come back to the original story because i I literally could probably talk to you for five or six hours if we went into all of these things and we probably should set up another time so going back to the the way that you're structuring the lease options you you mentioned three months are you running on like like how did you structure that deal um, I mean, it was basic from, I mean, taking me back to 2015 in the paperwork here, but um, it was pretty much the idea of that they would, we contracted them on whatever date that was, whatever month it was. I think it might've been like September or something. Um, and we said, okay, we'll start taking over your mortgage payments three months from now. So say I, September, October, November, say December, uh, we'll all start taking over that. And our idea was that we were going to, you know, get it fixed up, find a renter to move in um, and kind of do a rent to own thing with them where they're paying a little bit more of the mortgage and we're making a couple hundred bucks a month or whatever it might be, whatever we can make it work. I forget the exact numbers at this point in time on that. Um, And then it was like a five-year total deal. And then in five years, we had the option to sell. Um, We had the option to renew it um, or we had the option to kind of let it go and give it back to the owner. and that's how we had it structured at that point in time. Um, and then again, we came back with the addendum for like, okay, we think we can, he, he really wanted to get rid of the property, but he was like, I'd, I'd much rather just have you rent it and get rid of the mortgage payment because he couldn't take it by himself. His wife had recently died. Um, he was sick. Um, his, his mom 
um, had just recently passed um, and his sister was sick. Uh, it was a lot of things uh, going on. Um, so financially, he was at the end of like retiring, um, being like forced retired from this uh, job. So this is like a financial thing for him. He needed to get rid of that mortgage payment one way or the other. Um, so he was more than willing to kind of do, we were like the only people, uh, you know, he had talked to many different investors and they're all like, oh, we get nothing we can do. Um, so because we were able to be creative, you know, we were able to get that deal and, and make it happen that, uh, you know, other people just bypassed. Love it. I'm so glad you went in the seller situation because people always wonder like who would ever do this? And you know, and we know that that's something that happens all the time if the, if the circumstances are right. So essentially the payment was very, very difficult. They needed it off their plate. So this idea that, okay, maybe I can't get what I want for it on the market. So I'll collect rent and then get what I want because the option price is essentially what they wanted. Maybe the market couldn't afford it at that time. You were able to make some spread until you got to a place where the property made sense for somebody. Yeah. yeah. So the whole idea, our idea originally was, okay, we'll just run it out. We'll make a little bit in five years that we think the property value will be up high enough. Um, even with the repair costs that would be needed, as long as the renters didn't destroy it too much, um, that uh, we would be able to then make a profit and sell it a wholesale at that point in time. Um, but yeah, things turned out, we were able to do it quicker. So, you know, I think it's one of those things that you, I think it's important for any level of entrepreneur, but especially people in real estate, to, to always be creative in your thinking, be mm -hmm. open to opportunities and look at things. Don't just be stuck in a box. Because um, if we were looking at it from just that stuck in a box and this is only what you can do um, mentality, and we would have, I mean, that was a $100,000 deal led to another wholesaling deal that we made $40,000 off of. Um, like I mentioned that his mom passed away or whatever, and they had a property that him and his sister owned and they came to us for that. And we made 40,000 off wholesaling that deal. Um, and then they, a uh, family relative of theirs referred us to somebody else. So we, we, we got a bunch of momentum coming from being able to help this person. And it, it, but I think the, the creativity part came from, we generally fell for this guy and we wanted to help them, you know, and it was that service of desire to really try to help somebody made us kind of think outside the box and we went to different mentors different experienced people in the masterminds and uh the rias that we were involved in locally and say what are the different options we could do you know what if we did this could we do that um and really got people to start thinking and advise us um and kind of spurred that that momentum that that process oh i i love what you just did there you just talked how much you wanted to help this guy and I think mm -hmm. that is a general Stephen Neville thing. You love helping people and, and you're also helping people build their own businesses now. So let's just, let's pivot over here to Empower. Mm -hmm. You're doing a million things at Empower. So why don't we just start it off mm -hmm. with the quick elevator pitch of what Empower Solutions offers. And then we'll dive deeper into each of the little sections because you guys, you guys are amazing. I'm a personal client. So I mean, I could highly recommend you. Appreciate it, Tim. Um, so yeah, we're, I mean, the quick, the quick, easy thing is we're a data and marketing agency and specifically uh, right now focusing in, in the real estate niche. Uh, we help uh, whether you're an investor, any type of investor from a wholesaler to a flipper to creative financing, just buy and holds to realtors and brokers um, and all combinations thereof, uh, even 
people in the mortgage business, people, developers, land people. Um, we kind of work with all, a diverse amount of real estate clients to help them build and scale their business uh, by, again, either supporting them on the data side or also in their in their lead generation, you could say. Mm-hmm. So to dive into that a bit deeper. So when you say data, you're talking about if they want to market to distressed properties, you're going out and providing a list to them with emails and phone numbers so that they can plug that into a direct mail campaign or into a text messaging sequence. Is that the type of data you're talking about? Indeed. Um, so it kind of started back in in the prior real estate companies we had, like the data and skip tracing back in the early 2000s sucked and was expensive. Um, and the data hygiene, the quality of it wasn't that good. So I kind of learned, had a bit of an IT background, some things. So I kind of went in and learned how, like, hey, where does this data come from? How do you aggregate it? Um, and started doing that, aggregating our own data for our real estate company, um, which kind of brought our costs down and um, gave us an advantage of better, of better data to find properties. So when we started this company, I kind of already had that. So I kind of refined that, and that was our launching point. Um, so yeah, we have data, homeowner data across the entire country. Um, we don't do, we don't focus on like historical data. We don't have like the, the owner history for the past hundred years and every mortgage that ever happened. We don't do that part of the data. We'll let the, the big companies handle that stuff, but we handle all who owns the properties now, um, all the, the basic information for the current um, ownership and then uh, the skip tracing side. So adding your different phone numbers, your email addresses, uh, social media appends, demographics. Uh, we, you know, we could tell you like how many people are in the household, ages, ethnicity, what religion they are, how many credit cards they have, what type of cars mm-hmm. they drive. We can we can we can deep dive into the data so deep that you can profile each individual if you wanted to. Um, and we have some clients that do do that because they get really niche data. Um, and then they like, to, they like to go through and profile them and then uh, market out to them. Then we get some people don't need all that deep dive. They want, you know, 10,000 leads because it's mass marketing, um, you know, like your, your typical wholesale marketing and stuff to that degree. Um, so we can provide all that. Also, like email verification, phone verifications, data hygiene type of stuff. Um, so pretty much everything on the data side that that you probably would expect or, or maybe you, you wouldn't even know about, but we have it. <laughs> so I would love to get into the difference between your company and the other data companies, because it, it is my understanding that most of the data companies are recycling the data from the same you know, big companies, but you're not doing that. You're outsourcing your own data. So can we kind of dig into how yeah. that works? I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of the data comes from the same place. I mean, a lot of it is at the end of the day, public records. A lot of it is, hey, you know, you this transaction happened, it, it gets processed. But who is actually getting that data from that live? When those transactions happen, when they're recorded, how quickly is it coming in, which is your data hygiene? So a lot of companies are, they don't know how to aggregate that data. Um, and there are, other, there are other, you can get that data outside of just public records or other ways to get that data in a, in a quicker fashion um, to, to check against or update because public records in every county and every state is not always the, updated frequently. Uh, sometimes you can have months um, of delays and that type of stuff. Um, but a lot of the companies out there are like reselling. You know, it, it's a business. Hey, I can get it for this amount. I can resell to this group over here for this amount. Um, so it's a lot of like reselling. And then as that kind of trickled, 
trickles down, there's always a cost because the companies like ours that house like database servers with all this in there, it's expensive. It has a thing. That's why we don't do all the historical stuff. You have companies like Atom Data, Black Knight, CoreLogic, or people know them as ListSource. They have all this. I, I can't ha- I can't handle that expense that they have for for the, all this mortgage data and historical stuff. That's but that's not our thing. Like if, maybe we focus clientele for that, but that's not our business perspective. So you know we house what we house the data that we need for us for for our clients. A lot of other companies that are offering that they don't know how to do that. They don't have the the, the finances to be able to do that. So then they're just buying it from another company and they're buying it and holding it. Uh, they're not updating it. Uh, so the data hygiene comes in there. So you have a, a lot of times that happens with a lot of your all-in-one tools that have, you know, oh, you get the list here. You can skip trace it here. You can list stack it here. You can SMS it here. You can call it here. It has a CRM and it massages your feet when you're tired. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, a lot of them, and I'm not going to throw, I'm not throwing any of them under the bus. A lot of, there are a lot of different services out there. They're all great. They all have different things that, that for different people where you're at in your business, but a lot of things like that, when they, they can't specialize that they're just getting a feed. It might be updated quarterly every six months every year and it comes to data hygiene you want stuff that's updated quicker than that like a month is like the worst case and that's normally stuff like vacants where you're waiting on the usps uh where most of that comes from um or like pre-foreclosures depending on and certain counties that are only releases that uh monthly uh some release it randomly daily weekly uh so it kind of really depends we we kind of our data hygiene, we up things, we update things daily. Our servers oh. run to everything in a daily process. If there are updates, we bring it in. If there are no updates, there are no updates. Um, that's just what we do. Um, so essentially, people that are buying your data are are getting data that's fresh for that day. Essentially, all updates are that day. And yep. so, when they're accessing data, is it automatically updating on their end, or do they have to pay more to stay updated daily, or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, they, they're just coming to us and placing orders, and then we're pulling based on their specific stuff. Oh, I want this county or the zip code, whatever, uh, whatever, whatever their things are. You know, they're looking for this type of houses, this price ranges, this bedrooms, bathrooms, whatever details or or, or, or lack of, you know, how broad or narrow they want to focus on. Then we're, they, they pay for X amount, and we, we pull and deliver that and make sure uh, we have, like, the options, make sure that can any duplicate. So if you get that... Uh, absentee owner that that landlord owns 50 properties and you buy 5,000 leads, you're not getting 50 leads with the same uh, owner with the same phone number skip trace. You know, you're getting him one time um, and we will take out the duplicates and make sure you're getting, you know, 5,000 fresh individual separate leads uh, that you can reach out to. Um, Unless you want the duplicates, then we'll give them that to you too. I mean, you, and we, we customize it to whatever you want. <laughs> right. you know, some people like that. They like to see how many properties someone has, you know, like, hey, but... That's super cool. So you mentioned earlier, your passion mm-hmm. is for people and building culture. And can you tell us a little bit, go back a little bit and tell us how you discovered that and tell us about your journey in building building teams and building culture? Yeah. So I, it comes from, I guess what we were talking about earlier, helping people. That is like, I have a very service mindset. I've always had since I was a kid. Like I, I, you know, I think it was like second grade or something. Where like, what are you gonna do when you're an adult? Um, you know, and it, I, I had some crazies. Like, I think I was like, I want to be an NFL player. Huh. Um, 
And then, which I was on my way, and maybe I would have made, who knows, I, I busted my knee up and that went down the drain. Um, <laughs> but then it was like, I want to unite the world religions and um, I, I don't know, it was, it, I, I forget that thing. It was like a, basically a social movement of basically getting people to work together and be united. You know, I've always had this mentality of like using our differences, our diversity to empower us instead of divide us and taking in, I've always been in sports. And a lot of times any sports team tends to be diverse people on that team, but they're uniting together and they're all playing a role and that the culture of a good team breeds success. Uh, I look at the culture of like the nineties bulls, um, mm-hmm. the Chicago bulls, uh, any, I mean, any, any teams around you can go to it. You can go to any type of sports, any type of thing. And it, it kind of goes into anything and, and uh, countries when they develop up and they're peaking, it has good teamship, you know, like I, you know, like the parties are kind of like debating each other, but yet empowering each other within that and not like ripping each other apart. I mean, like we're going through right now, um, you know, like you have that across the board where the diversity empowers people work together as like, like the culture of teamship. So, that's where I kind of went through a burnout phase in real estate, like I mentioned before. And I was like that competitive desire to build this world conquering empire of real estate. <laughs> um, I was like, ah, cause I lost touch with that. How am I helping people? You mm-hmm. know, when it gets that big, you're focusing on such big things. You're losing that individual guy that I was talking to and helping in that one property. I, I lost that. So I kind of went through a phase of kind of like self-discovery and, what is it that I like there? And that's when I realized I'm like, people came to me all the time. Steve, like how hey, you did, you've been successful. I'm trying to wholesale. How can I do this? How do I do that? And that was helping these other people, um, these other investors and wholesalers. And I realized I, I kind of like this. How about I, at that point in time, there wasn't a whole bunch of, you know, skip tracing companies and VA companies and all these different things like there are now. Uh, so I was like, it's kind of a, a hole, like business wise, this is like a hole in the market. This is an opportunity to fill in and provide a service that can be profitable and it allows me to help people. So it led me on that journey there, which then obviously I had to staff people. Um, and I, I initially had two, three, four, five people, six people. Um, and then that grew like to 20 some people. And then that grew to 30, 40, 50 some people. And up to like, we go fast around between like 80 to hundred people now. Um, uh, kind of go and we're, we're, we're kind of we, we kind of bring a bunch of people in um in, into a recruiting class see kind of who you know Speaks separate out. the men from the boys at that point in time yep. some fade off and then we keep and then it happens again so we kind of bring in that and, and and so we're slowly growing up so we're you know but in the next by this time next year we'll probably be somewhere around 250 300 people hmm. but the challenges of that are crazy going from having two or three people to 10 people to 20 people. They're like these different barriers and walls organization that is the developing. It really took that helping people to the next level because now it's not just I'm helping other people become wholesalers, become investors who are then helping the homeowners. And I'm kind of like having that ripple effect there. Now I'm an employer. I'm helping people have jobs and most of our employees are in the Philippines. It's a third world country. Okay. Like what I'm paying them, like I've went there and I've talked to people and like 
the manager of like a local version of what like a Home Depot there, you know, like makes one dollar a day. Equivalent. So like you're paying them. It makes a difference. You're like you're affecting you, people here. We see it. If you're an investor, a wholesaler here, you're in the Facebook groups and all that type of stuff. You're hearing generational curses. We're breaking the curses. We're elevating mm-hmm. our, our family out of poverty and this different things and, 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 and getting into wealth. And that's what real estate helps a lot of people do that. Well, this is like that times a billion for these people over there. Like they're really like just changing their whole life and how they can provide for their families. And it's such a family culture where they are still like we're here, like we're shipped mom and dad to the nursing home, you know, there is not like that. It's like it was here a long time ago where you take care of your elderly, you know, the community <laughs> all takes care of each other. So the more I do empower them, it's not just changing what they can do and the, oh, they can buy an iPhone now or something. No, it's like they can actually take care of their families. They can provide more. They can actually get their kid into this better school for a better education because the, the diverse, the levels of education quality in the third world country vary greatly. Um, so it was like this whole level of like impacting these lives. Um, and then from that, okay, like I, I in the beginning, getting into it, like I saw people treat VAs, they're like, oh, that's just a VA, like they're subhuman, mm-hmm. you know, like they're a lower level, like they're almost like they're a slave, you know, it's like a, it was like a modern day professional way of treating someone like a slave, lesser than, and that's all it was a VA. And then they, they didn't give raises. They'll be like, okay, uh, VA, I'm paying you this. You can work for me for 10 years and your your, your salary never changes. Um, and it was mm-hmm. like looked at in even in corporate in, in corporate America, whether like BPOs, like you know, you're a T-Mobile or you're a Verizon, you're a big call center, anything like that. They even look at like when they outsource to those countries that we can pay this little bit of money. We have a bigger thing. We don't have to work, have to give these raises all the time. We can, people burn out. We can cut them, bring more in because we're happy to have that job. It, it's that mentality there where like, okay, like I, I, it was disgusting to me. So then it's like, how can we change that? How can we bring value to these people? I want to be able to develop them. I want to be able to give them raises and I want them not just to give the raise out of charity. I want to be able to develop these people, give them more skill sets so they can grow and they have a career development path. Um, and it was just kind of like that, just that, that inner passion of just really trying to make a difference and helping like on an individual level where I can and trusting that has a ripple effect into the world. I don't know. This has led me to the path I'm on. That makes sense. Oh yeah. And I think it's absolutely brilliant, Steve. I think what's amazing is you talk about empowering investors, empowering your, your employees and empowering everybody and your companies called empower. I mean, I've heard you literally say empower so many times. And I just think that is just, obviously you selected that word for a reason because you're empowering people in multiple, multiple different avenues. And it's just really exciting to see everything that you're doing. Um, what the question I have is why did you decide to go the virtual route instead of trying to do this locally? Um, I guess in the beginning, it was more uh, the scale quickly and cost. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. the labor cost is cheaper, um, you know, overseas than here. So, I mean, it was it allowed me to hire more people at, at, a, at a quicker rate. Um, it started from there. And then I just fell in love with the culture. 
Um, and, and I mean, like, literally fell in love with it. My fiance is Filipina, <laughs> yeah. so too, like, like I'm in love with the culture, and like I plan on, like, I'm in the process in the next year or so. I'll probably be spending like, uh, like winter time. You know, it'd be like after Christmas. I'm there until like May, um, and then eventually, in probably another decade or so, and you know, generations change in my family and people pass away. I don't have like responsibilities here in my own family as much. I'm probably going to be like living there dominantly and coming and coming and, and, and still coming here only for three, four months of the year um, type of thing. I just really love the culture. And it, for me now, it it isn't about where. So I've also hired people from other countries um, and I've actually had people locally as well since then. Um, it is just, I don't know the culture fit the people is there something about it that just it sinks and it's in harmony with me and in my spirit within my soul and it just works um you know and you yeah. just got to go with wood, where you vibe where where things work right absolutely i love everything that you're talking about man and and i want to say this specifically dude because when i started this or when we started this rather you were one of the first people i thought of but every time I looked at your Facebook profile, I was like, oh, he's on vacation. I don't want to bug this guy. Oh, he's on vacation. It's, like, it's been like four months. I'm like, Steve is never coming back. Um, so thank you for thank you for reaching out to me because you're definitely a man of your word and you're, you're definitely doing everything that you said. I've seen it. And I'm, I'm just being able to watch it has been just um, a tremendous joy for me as well, watching you grow. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. And likewise, man, you've grown so much from when I first met you and then we started working together to where you are now, man. You're like building your own empire. Mm -hmm. uh, I love so, it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had those grandiose thoughts you were talking before. So, I mean, I could certainly relate to a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did the whole multiple market. We, we, had, we yeah. had a lot of journey in there with that. Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> a couple of questions I have. So one, what part of the Philippines um, and then the second question is going back to, you talked about professional sports being, you know, to, to win in professional sports, the culture has to be unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And in business, I think sometimes it can be challenging for people to set the right culture because a lot of people are coming for the job. So can you detail what you're doing differently? Part of it, of, of course, hiring a different, you know, uh, in the Philippines, but can you detail what you as a leader are doing differently to create that culture? Sure. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing there is stepping back and I, and I can't, I still do this. I don't think there is, I don't think I have the, the, the full picture, perfect uh, detailed answer yet to what makes the best culture, the best teamship, because it's a shifting dynamic. But if you look at things, they're different, different players, and they have their roles. And it is when the players commit to their roles and are fine with their roles, and they're not trying to be Michael Jordan, okay? They are trying to be, um, I don't know, Luke Longley or somebody. I, I'm forgetting <laughs> players. You know, they're being Dennis Rodman. You know, like Dennis Rodman could score, and people didn't forgot about that. But he was a beast of a defender and beast of a rebounder. And he goes, I don't care if I get two points. I'm going to get every time that ball bounces off that rim, I'm going to grab that, and I'm going to you know, shank you with my elbow, you know, and I'm going to bully you, you know, I'm, and I'm going to slot every, every pass you down. I'm, he played that role. He wasn't trying to be Michael Jordan, dunking, the game-winning shot, 
you know, you had Michael Jordan and you had Scottie Pippen to play those roles. Like you had you had those two people that played the one and two uh, right there. But then you had other people played their role. So when you have in that team culture, what's your role? Where are you hired for? What's what, what's your play? Let's get you focused on that. Let's make you the best at that role. And then having a passion. Are you coming in every day to punch the clock, to go to work? I think about this from my life. I hated working nine to five because I felt like it was modern day slavery. I, I, you know, like I, I had to do it. I'd be homeless. You know, I had to do it. Or I'd be like, I wouldn't be, I'd be a crappy dad. I wouldn't provide for my kids. It was like this, that's how it felt to me. Not, not trying to say that's what it is, but that, that's how it mentally and emotionally drained me to go to work every day. And I was like, okay, what, when the times it didn't, I felt valued and I was excited and I thought I could make a difference. Um, there are the times when it didn't feel that way. So then I kind of make that. I try to encourage that culture of my company that, that, that people know you make a difference and get them excited to get them passionate that they want to be the best that they can be at that position for themselves, for their own competitiveness. And also the result by them being their best. How does that impact the company? How does that make everything else better? How does that make us win? How like, like your role is essential. While it might not be in the limelight on ESPN highlights of Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan couldn't be there if it wasn't you. Like football, the linemen, the D, the offensive linemen, the D linemen. A lot of times you don't see those guards and centers, you know. But if they didn't do their job, the quarterback would be getting murdered, right? And <laughs> I'm in Baltimore. Lamar Jackson would get his butt killed. He got his butt killed last year. So we had our offensive line got decimated. You know, he was running for his life this whole, the whole season last year. You know, like it, it, you can see that. It has to do like getting people to really value what they they have, and then making the culture fun. You know, then mm-hmm. also it can't just always be like um, uh, I, I think of Mel Gibson in um, uh, what's the movie? The Scotland um, Braveheart. Braveheart, yes, and he's like, ah, doing the speech, ah, <laughs> you know, like like rallying people for war. If you're trying to rally everyone for war every single day, it, like it gets old. The speech gets old, <laughs> the energy gets old, it gets draining. So it can't just always be like a war rally. It's got to be fun, you know? So, like, we come in and we do Zumbas together before we work. We we sing karaoke. You're like, I don't know, we do all kinds of crap that just lights up, brings our energy there. Some of that's in, like, Tony Robbins uh, type of stuff that we learn to get the energy up and, 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 and prime yourself. But bring that in and make it kind of fun, make fun environment. And we're goofy. We have events. We have We have... Every month we have like a party and contest and things and we drink together virtually. And mm-hmm. I don't know, we have these different things. They're all voluntary, but it may, it fosters a fun workplace and, you know, open and dynamics and people are communicating with each other and, you know, lead with have, teaching, having our leaders, developing our leaders to have empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, of course it's a business and people have to perform and, you know, but, we also have to have empathy and compassion for what's going on in their lives as humans. And then from in from there, you can connect with someone and help guide them to the success that they can have. Um, or sometimes you can't, you can't reach everybody. And sometimes you have to let someone go to that. That's their journey in life. And they have to go through a rough period, right? We all have that, but how you can help people the most is like really kind of getting into those type of things. Um, you know, I, I guess leading from the heart. Um mm-hmm. You know, actually truly caring about the people. 
Uh, those are things really to me are what really builds the culture. Um, constantly getting in touch with people and, and, and making sure they know what their whys are. And the why isn't, oh, just, yeah, I want to feed my kids and my kids have a better life. No, bigger why than that. Like we yeah. need bigger whys and in getting them. A lot of times I talk to people, they don't have one. They've never thought about a bigger why. Maybe that's because yeah. they're in a third world country and, it, and they can't even think about like, how can I provide today? Right. A lot of times that's just a poverty mindset that you don't even, you don't have the luxury of thinking bigger picture and, and bigger whys, but challenging people to, to be able to have that bigger why and grounding them in that and having the leaders and team members know and share that with each other so they can bond over that and help each other with that, encourage each other. Because, you know, some days, you know, we're not all, we don't wake up every day happy. We wake up days mm -hmm. depressed, sad, anxiety, mental health is a real thing. You know, like everybody goes through that. So like we want to be able to pick each other up. The people who are kind of eh, today, we want the people who are feeling good to be like, come on, I got you. Let's go. You know, we want to empower them and remind them how, whatever that may look like. Um, oh, man, absolutely. Dude, Steve, I'm sure we could probably <laughs> run and talk for like three hours because I, mean, I feel like I have a hundred more questions already. I really want to get into this one specifically um, because sure. you bring up the team thing a lot. And we actually, we interviewed somebody that used to work for, um, the Spurs. So he's worked for Popovich. He's, he's worked for Steve Kerr personally. And wow, okay. after the show, I've literally spent an hour on the phone with him and talking like how that looked. And it's very business-like, you know, it's very systemic. It's very self-improvement driven. Like Popovich yes. is big on the good to great. He's like, if mm -hmm. you're good, how do you get to great? And things like that. So, I mean, I really love that analogy because it's perfect and it totally lines up because this, this dude left the NBA and he, in 15 months, he's created a million dollars in equity and $40,000 a month in cash flow. It's nice. absolutely crazy. Um, but you said something that was very, very important. You want people to specialize in a role and you want them to be great at that one thing. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes a lot of investors make. They try to do a hundred things at once and they never get good at that one thing. How did you how did you come to that epiphany? And then how did you build upon it? Um, how did I come to that epiphany? That's I think a lifelong journey. Um, you know, I do I do think there there is a place for the uh, jack of all trades or type of roles or people. Um, I kind of and that to a big degree in my life overall, but at times I have to specialize. To when you have a focus goal, you have to narrow in and focus on achieving that goal. So I guess it really came into the as the older I got and I, I started the self-awareness of learning how to how do I create the reality I want? How do I manifest my goals? My how do I take the idea and dream and bring it into physical reality? Um, and that has a lot to do with narrowing in, focusing, disciplining yourself and becoming obsessed with that and narrowing in there. Uh, so from that, I, that's really kind of where that has come from. Um, and I don't, yeah, uh, that, that's where I kind of teach that to our people like, hey, narrow and become the best at this. It doesn't mean you got to do that forever. It doesn't mean that defines who you are as an individual, but that is how you're defining your success at this moment. And it's going to bring opportunities to you. It's going to bring out different awarenesses to you, which will guide you and trigger you to like, okay, 
I want to try this now. I'm interested in this. And then you switch over and then you can start focusing and, and learn this and decide if that's something that's a craft you like and then become good at it and go good to great, like you're saying, and and go on that journey. And because I don't I don't believe that maybe some people are like they, they get in one area and they're good to go for that for the rest of their lives. Other people mm-hmm. like to do things. It's for a period of their life and they're doing that. And then another period of life, they, they want to shift over to something else. Um, so it, it's really kind of the individual path, but um, I think a kind of like almost like a universal philosophy that can be applied slightly different for each individual. If that makes sense. That kind cool. of question. <laughs> I've got, I've got just this question that keeps nagging in my mind and part of me says I shouldn't ask it. And part of me says I should. So I'm going to ap- apologize ahead of time because I actually have a very similar thought process or maybe not thought process. I have maybe similar feelings. So earlier on you expressed maybe this, not alignment or dislike maybe even for the way that business was structured at the beginning with real estate partnerships and so on and so forth. Now, as you run this company that we have employees, there there is this alignment, this passion, this energy for people. Can you maybe explain the differences of why that passion and alignment wasn't there in the partnership model, but it's there as the leader, you know, Mm -hmm. in the employee model? It seems like some people really have a passion for having organizations where they have employees and some people have an organization, a passion for organization where they have partners, because I think this is where maybe you and I are like polar opposites. Mm -hmm. I actually have found true passion in having partnerships. So I just kind of want to see how, how, how you're thinking through that. Yeah. So I think what, I think partnerships are great. Yeah. Um, It it just, that partnership didn't work out for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons is we didn't, have the right conversations. I think it's the same thing when people get married too quickly, then they find themselves divorced, divorced in three, four, five years. They didn't have the right conversations in the beginning to get on the same page to, to really find out is this the right to sit the right move for us? And if it is, we we've discussed these things and we've come to agreements on these certain things. So it's a foundation. We didn't have that. I guess a little we were kind of naive and green. And just assume like, okay, this is a business model. Uh, we can make money. Um, we're all cool with each other. Uh, we trust each other. Um, we'll just show up and do our work and make money together. Um, it, it was as simple as that. We didn't get really deeper uh, within that. Um, and I think that's really just kind of like the, more of the wisdom. We didn't really examine it. You know, a partnership. Like I view all my employees not as employees. I view them as family. I view yeah. them as my partners. Um, you know, it's like they are, there are partners or the salaries they make are like distributions, uh, of our profits. I'm, I very much invest. Like I don't keep a whole bunch of our profit and put it into a bank account. I like take the majority of our profit, reinvest in our business and reinvest and reinvest that my labor costs are, are higher. I've been told by multiple coaches and uh, stuff like that, that my labor costs are way too high because I hire too many people than I need because I value that, um, mm. You know, like, I don't know, there's certain things with that. Uh, you can make more money. Just cut some of those people and you can have more profit over here. Like, no, but that's not what I want to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. It's a level of that. So it's just having the same thing that I think for having the employee model or business partner model is the same thing as having a marriage. Yeah. Um, it is a true partnership and you kind of have to think that through and feel people out and i, I think in business you, you do have different types apart like a jv partnership may not need as much 
you know, quote unquote dating period, you know, as in if you are building the next Google together, or the next Facebook together. Right. Yeah. So there are different depending on what the business model and your vision is, there's a different like dating period. But I think you got to date and mm-hmm. it can't just be because, oh, I respect each other because from from a business point or we're buddies. And, you know, we went to the clubs together and we we drank together and our, our families are friends or whatever it might be. It, it can't just be like that type of stuff. It has to be a, a deeper conversations about things have to go forward. I, like, I just how do you love handle that. adversity together? Yeah, you know, like you know, totally. I just love how you bring it back to marriage. I mean, I I feel like with the partners that I have, there's that element, and with the staff that we have, especially particularly in the Philippines. So I resonate with your connection to that culture, that love, that heart, the passion they have for people, and so that's. I just I love that analogy. Like you, you come into this thing. You have a hundred spouses essentially in your business, <laughs> more or less. Um, like, what a cool way to live. Why, why wait for the afterlife? Have them all. Yeah, here. that's right. <laughs> like, <laughs> talk about uniting some of the world religions. So, uh, hundred yeah. hundred wives. Yep. Call me Genghis Khan. You're right. Uh, there you go. <laughs> that's how you really. That's how you really create an empire. You have a, a couple thousand descendants um, <laughs> that create a couple million more. Oh God, Steve, I really. We could talk for you ever. We're gonna have to bring you on again because um, I feel like there's so much we didn't get into. Um, but what I would really love to know, because I know you're working on something right now that you're launching soon. So, like, what is your vision for Empower within the next six to twelve months? Oh man, next six to 12 months. Um, well, first, right now, the, I'll start from the immediate kind of and branch it out. Um, we, we're, we're really excited because, you know, a lot of times you hear when it comes like the skip tracing stuff on the data side, you hear like you want, you know, credit bureau level data uh, and stuff like that. It's always one like the niche terms you'll have on, on different companies. Uh, we're combining credit level data with carrier level data now. Um, so we have relationships with all the major U.S. Uh, phone carriers, both on the mobile and the landline side, um, which allows us to have that access to the most accurate, accurate and active numbers for individuals, along with not just the number and having hit rates and accuracy rates that are, that are going through, through the roof right now, but also having call windows. We have access now to the big data to where we know, okay, I know Tim's number. I also know because Tim, you answer your phone and you talk to people, the carriers track all that. So they know you talk between 1130 a.m. to 1 p.m. is a hot point. Before, from 415 to, to 530 is a hot point. We can actually pinpoint when is Tim most likely going to be on his phone, will answer his phone and have a conversation. So then you can gear your marketing to call at that point in time. Say what? I was about to say that is extremely interesting, Steve. We're gonna have to have you on next week, and we're gonna have to yes. dive deeper into this one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, we're we're about to light. The, we're about to have a little revolutionary. You know, uh, by the time this will probably airs out somewhere, um, that should be on fire and, mm. and, and catching. It's going to really kind of change the the marketplace. Uh, we hope we really hope it empowers people there um, to take to take their marketing dollars a little further um, and, and have a higher chance of success. Um, but from that, yeah, I mean, like our biggest thing now is really growing. Well, we're always improving our data stuff like that. We all have these different relationships, um, is really growing on our lead generation side. 
because uh, we have like the SMS agents and the cold callers. Um, you know, when we talked about individualizing roles, right? Well, like the lead man, I found that out in real estate a lot. People will try to do that themselves. They're, they try to play all those roles. They also do that to their VAs. And like you're gonna you're gonna SMS and cold call. You're gonna be our transaction mm-hmm. coordinator. You're gonna be our lead manager, and you're gonna make offers. You're gonna be acquisitions, and then dispo too. They they try to combine all these things. Um, and like so, like you know, we separate those things. Like the lead manager is like kind of like the, the the feminine energy, the nurturer, the lead nurturer versus the acquisitions, which is the, the hardcore closer coming at you, a more masculine energy. So we separate and have individual people for these roles. Tra- obviously, transaction coordinators. We have disposition managers. Uh, we have all these different VAs that play specialized roles for people's business so we can help scale them and customize packages for what they need for their business. Not everybody needs a full team. Some of them just need a plug and play in different areas, whether just the prospecting side of getting the, the leads coming in. And some people need them to be nurtured and followed up because they got hardcore acquisition closers, but they don't have people. But all the ones that are like not ready right now follow up with me, those hardcore closers aren't getting pumped up to nurture those leads and call them back. So they lose out to competitors, you know, who call them when they are ready. So we have those people that nurture uh, those leads and develop them over time. So our, our goal really is to be that one-stop shop that can really run your whole business for you from front to end, from everything from the data, the data, gathering the data, the data strategy, to then putting that into prospecting and then get, gathering those leads from your funnel and turning them and converting them into deals for you. Um, is that whole entire thing wherever we need people to do that. But our, probably this time next year, we're, the goal ultimately for Empower is actually going to be expanding beyond real estate um, and going into other verticals. Um, we are now at that point now where I, I, I don't like using the word expert or expertise, but we have, we're very thorough and very knowledgeable and, and, and it, you know, very dug in and established on the real estate niche. Um, so now we're looking to go into other things, solar, life insurance, um, other areas where we can uh, grow our company. And, you know, I'm kind of looking like, how can we get to a thousand employees? Uh-huh. You know? uh, we're doing social, we have organic social media management we're doing for branding, you know, handling your p- posts and, and also videos and reels. Also just regular posts on, uh, for IG, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter. So like the organic branding of someone looks at you because nowadays it's like you need a website. That was always a thing to be professional. But now they also look at the social media and you Mm -hmm. can't just run ads and do social media paid advertising marketing. That's bringing sales. You also need to have an organic postings. So what you look like. So we handle that as well. Um, and our, our team is excited to actually get in and be offering the, the, the paid advertising as well and all the different channels, YouTube, everywhere else. It's really kind of like, hey, what, what, where's an area we people need help at? What can we do? How can we provide a service? Um, you know, a lot of times we have clients like yourself, Tim, who sits here and we talk on our strategy call and they say, hey, you know, I'm having a, I'm having a hole over here in my business. And then we sit here and think, hey, could we help them with that somehow? You know, like we got some people that know that. Could we actually develop? What would it take to actually maybe hire a couple other people, train them up, and then run a run a division for that thing? And could that be? Could we replicate that and make that a profitable area in the business? And um, a lot of times, our business kind of organically grows that way. So, oh man, that makes makes sense. I kind of rambled on there about a whole bunch of things. No, (laughs) it made perfect sense. It, it, It made perfect sense. And yeah, your passion bleeds through the screen, Steve. 
Um, I could personally recommend your data and your cold calling services. Absolutely tremendous performance. I think you were getting me five, six leads a day. Um, easy, easy. Um, so if, if this is something that you need, I could personally recommend Steve. Steve, anybody interested in working with you? How is the best way for them to reach out to you or how, to, how should they find you? Um, you can go to our website, supermpower.com. So super like Superman, M like marketing and power.com. Uh, uh, you can also check us out on uh, Facebook, uh, you know, the, the backslash super empower. Uh, we also have Facebook group you can join. Um, so it's the Facebook groups backslash super empower. Uh, IG. Uh, Instagram is super dot M dot power. Uh, Twitter is super underscore M underscore power on LinkedIn. Um, you know, we're everywhere. Uh, Google super empower, Google empower solutions. You're going to find our company and then one other tech company in Australia. So we're not the one based in Australia. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, there we go. Um, absolutely tremendous. All that information will of course be in the show notes. Uh, Mr. Stephen Neville, absolute pleasure having you. We want to thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is acquired one action at a time. So if you do nothing else, at least write, write down one thing that you're going to do and implement within the next seven days. And please share with somebody you know that they, so that they could hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you, everybody. And we'll catch you on the next one.